Good morning, everyone. Good to see all of you here this morning. If you're visiting with us, we want you to know that we are happy that you have chosen to come our, our way. Listen, if you have any questions about anything that you hear or, uh, or maybe uh, see or maybe even hear in this lesson this morning, certainly feel free to come up and talk to me about it afterwards, and I'll try to give you an answer. And if I can't do that, maybe I can direct you to someone who can. But anyway, that we're so happy that you are, are here uh, with us. Let me remind the congregation just very quickly about our barbecue in the park next uh, Sunday afternoon at 4 o'clock at Kleiner, Julius Kleiner Memorial Park. Uh, it's over by the village. It's, it's a beautiful park in and of itself. We're going to be meeting at the pavilion, which is right next door to the uh, playground that is there. And we're going to have some time just to be together with one another. So bring lawn chairs, bring blankets, bring whatever you have to do to, to sit on. And of course, there are picnic benches and picnic tables. And so we're just going to spend some time together with one another. I was thinking about this and, you know, it's been Wow, it's been probably almost two and a half years since we as a congregation have been able to do such an activity as a picnic because of this pandemic. And so let me encourage you to really set aside that time. It's going to be a wonderful time of fellowshipping together with one another. I think you'll really enjoy it. So the lesson this morning begins this way. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. It's five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. So began the TV series Star Trek, starring Captain James T. Kirk as he talked about the mission statement of the Starship Enterprise and her crew. That series started from 1966 and went through 1969, so it didn't quite make the five-year mission, but nevertheless, it was a hit series, and the result of that was is that thousands upon thousands upon thousands of reruns occurred, as well as a number of movie spin-offs from the Star Trek series. Then it was almost 18 years later that a new Star Trek came out, Star Trek The Next Generation with Jean-Luc Picard as the captain, and now he is using a little bit different of a mission statement that we'll talk about here in a few moments. Then there was reruns after reruns, and then there were a few movie spinoffs, and then 28 years later comes a new Star Trek series called The Strange New World. That's on Paramount+, Plus, and so you don't get to see it unless you have that app on or that, that uh, kind of... Uh, uh, cable thing with you, or whatever it's called. Anyway, a strange new world, and, but they changed up the, the mission of, of it, and, and so it goes, space, the final frontier, these are the voyages of the starship, Enterprise. notice it's continuing mission, so they've went away from the five-year mission to a continuing mission to explore new, strange new world, to seek out new civilizations, and then they say to boldly go where no one has gone before, so they become more gender neutral and to be goals along with a woke society. And so when you think about that mission statement, well, James T. Kirk, he lays out the mission statement. He says, of course, it's the final frontier, uh, that it's a five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek life, new life and new civilizations, and to boldly go where no man goes before. That's the mission statement. Well, did you know that the church also has a mission statement? 
Now, if you were to say, well, which mission statement does ours look like more like? Does it look more like the one with James T. Kirk, or does it look more like the one with John Luke Picard? And the answer is, it's probably with the next generation and a strange new world because it talks about a continuous mission. And so instead of the church having a five-year mission, our mission is an ever-continuing mission to the final frontier. And that, of course, is to seek the souls of mankind and to bring them into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And Jesus himself gave us a mission statement. He gave us what we are supposed to be doing as the Linda Road Church and as the crew of the Linda Road Church. We are to carry out the good news of Jesus Christ. And so we've been told to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He's the believer that is baptized shall be saved. He that disbelieves shall be damned. Well, those are pretty strong words there, and yet that's the mission statement of the church. And so the mission statement of the church is this. We're to go into all the world. That's the final frontier. We're not talking about space here that is separated from solar system and solar system and planets and planets by millions, if not billions, of light years away. You can't get your mind around that, but we can get our mind around the final frontier in terms of the globe in which we live where human beings are here with over seven and a half billion people on the face of our planet, the vast majority of those who don't know Jesus Christ and are lost, we have a final frontier that we are to go into, that we're to seek the lost in order to offer them new life in Jesus Christ, that we're to boldly go where no man has gone before since every generation is in need of knowing who Jesus Christ is. So we have something that we are supposed to be doing, and so Jesus said that we are to go now here's the thing about him saying that we are to go he doesn't tell us uh exactly where to go specifically he simply tells us to go into all the world that final frontier that we are to go and that it's up to us to decide how is it that we're going to go at this what's the ways that we're going to do it and yet as we go down through the scriptures and we read through the new testament we are able to uh, find or decide how that first century church was able to go into the world to turn it upside down, and to reach out to the known world at that time, by the time you get to Colossians, the first chapter, and verse 23, where the gospel had spread to the entire world. Well, how did they do it? Well, there are three ways. The first one is this, is through preaching and teaching. Obviously, Jesus said, go and preach or proclaim to all creation or to every creature the good news of Jesus Christ, the church understood this in the first century over in Acts the 8th chapter when the church is being severely uh, persecuted. It says that they were scattered from Jerusalem. Remember, Paul is threatening slaughter upon Christians, and so Christians are scattered. But it says, as they scattered out, they went everywhere preaching the word of God. And Philip, who was one of the seven that was chosen to serve tables in Acts 6, we find him now in Acts the 8th chapter in Samaria being an evangelist and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And we learned that many of those were believing and were being baptized. Later on in that same chapter, the Ethiopian eunuch, well, he is taught by Peter, uh, by Philip as well, and it says that they come to some body of water, and the eunuch says to Philip, here's water, what hinders me from being baptized? And, and so he baptizes him. They go down into the water, and he immerses them, and then they come back out of the water. So, so one of the ways that we spread the good news is, of course, through the preaching or the heralding of the word of God. Paul in Romans, the 10th chapter, verses 13 and 14, there he says, well, how can they believe unless someone is sent? And how can one be sent unless we go and preach the word? So, you know, 
Blessed are the feet of those who bear glad tidings and good news. And so the spreading of the word happens through preaching and, and teaching. And then, of course, there is the written word. We have 27 books in the New Testament alone. The vast majority of them are epistles or letters that were written. We have the written word that way that we can uh, read about. But we also have, you know, magazine articles and bulletin articles and different ways in which we can communicate the word of God on written material. It used to be when I'd write lots of bulletin articles, I almost, I really didn't like it. And one of the reasons is because you use it for a lot of really good ideas for sermon ideas. And, and then it dawned on me one day, now wait a second, whether I'm speaking it verbally or whether it's on written page, it still has the same effect. That's how the word of God is spread. But then there is a third way that the word of God can be spread that oftentimes we just take for granted. We really don't think of it as being a means of extending the good news of Jesus Christ and the way of salvation. And that way, of course, is, is singing. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. I want to talk to you about why singing is so important for us to be involved in and why we need to be singing out. And so the lesson is called The Final Frontier, carrying out the mission through song. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Okay, so I want you to hold your thought here and open your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, and I want to just share with you the, the context of the important passage that we're going to look at, that's the text for uh, the morning. In Acts the 16th chapter, here Paul and Silas have begun what is known as the second missionary journey of Paul. The first missionary journey, you remember that Paul and, and Barnabas had went up through Asia Minor to places like Lystra and, and Derby, and, and they had had established churches there. And then they decided they need to go back and revisit those churches, which would begin the second missionary journey. But Paul and, uh, and Barnabas, they have a falling out with one another. And the result was is that Barnabas, he takes John Mark, and they go to Cyprus. <laughs> Paul chooses Silas, and they go to Asia. They go on the second journey, and so they go into the Asia province, and as they go and they're trying to make inroads and, and open doors for the gospel, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit prevents them. He doesn't allow them to open the doors, and Paul keeps trying to bust through the doors, but he keeps being prevented from doing so, and finally he finds himself on the shores of the Aegean Sea at Troas. And at Troas, he has a night vision or a dream where a man from Macedonia comes to him and beckons him to bring the good news to Macedonia. So Paul is determined that from that vision that this is God saying to him, all right, you're done in Asia Minor for now. You need to cross over. So Paul and Silas, they get on a ship in Troas. They cross over the Aegean Sea and they come to Macedonia. And eventually to a Roman colony, to a leading city called Philippi. And in Philippi, he's going to begin sharing the good news. Now, when you talk about a strange new world and civilization, that was Macedonia. Understand this, that when you talk about missionaries of that day and even of our day, in that day, especially in the ancient world, you do know that most people that were born, probably 99.9% .9 of them, never saw anything beyond 25 miles of where they were born. They weren't world travelers. They didn't have cars and planes like we do today where we travel extensively. They were locked into a very small segment, probably most of them within five miles of where they lived, but they didn't go very far. And so for Paul and Silas now to find themselves thousands of miles from Judea and in Macedonia, I'm talking about a strange new place. 
a new civilization, we're talking about people who spoke a different language, we're talking about a different kind of culture, different gods that maybe Paul hadn't come into contact with, and now they find themselves in Philippi. And Paul, he decides to start with the message, so it says in the narrative here that on a certain day, Paul leaves the gates of Philippi and he goes down to the river where there are some worshipers. What they're worshiping, we're not told, but Paul gathers himself with some women that were there and he begins to talk about Jesus Christ in the way of salvation. And the Bible says that the Lord opened the heart of Lydia, who was a businesswoman. She was a seller of purple dye from Thyatira. And she listens to what Paul has to say. And it goes on to say that her and her whole household accepted what Paul was saying concerning Jesus Christ and that her and her whole household were immersed or baptized into Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. That was the first convert in Macedonia. So that's a pretty good start. And then it says later on that Paul was in Philippi and he goes to a place of prayer in, in the city itself and there's a girl that keeps following them for days and she's pestering them and so the long story short is that she is pestering them because she has a spirit of divination or an evil spirit within her and she keeps saying things and paul gets fed up with it so he exercises the the spirit out of her and that was a bad thing in terms of what the city thought about things because this slave girl was owned by owners and she was their cash cow that's how they were making a living. And all of a sudden, the cash cow is gone, and it ticks these guys off. And so they gather up Silas and, and Paul, and they haul them off to the authorities. And the crowd finds out what is happening, and they say to the authorities and to the magistrates, these men are teaching strange new doctrines that are not lawful for us Romans. And so it says that they beat them up because of it. Look at chapter 16, now verse 22. Okay, listen to what it says. The crowd rose up together against them, Paul and Silas, and the chief magistrate tore their robes off of them, proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them secretly. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened the feet in the stocks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing, hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do not harm yourself, for we're all here. And he called for the lights and rushed in and trembling with fear fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he had brought them out, he said to them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And he said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house. And he took them that very hour of the night, washed their wounds, and immediately he was baptized, he and his household. And he brought them into his house, set food before them, rejoicing greatly, having believed in God with his whole household okay so back up now so as you back up to this thing here here we find paul and silas 
they are brought before the magistrates and they are stripped of their clothes and they're beaten with many blows or flogged with many blows and then they're thrown or cast back into the dungeon of the prison and their feet are placed in stocks. Now I want you to think about this for a second because the Spirit has insisted that they not do the mission in Asia but go to Macedonia and they go to Macedonia and they have some success, limited success with Lydia and her household and the next thing you know, they're proclaiming the word and now they're thrown in prison and they're beat up. Stripped and beat up. So how would you respond to that? Well, typically, if you, if you were in that situation, you would be super angry about that. Maybe rage. Maybe there would be a, a certain amount of bitterness in you. You're doing a good thing. God insisted that we come here, and we've come here, and now we're beaten to smithereens and thrown into a dark prison. Most people would probably yell and scream, maybe even swear. Uh, they would maybe shake their fist at God. I've done what you want. Now what more do you want that you put us in this kind of situation? Maybe you pound on the walls or maybe you just kind of just cave into yourself, into your pity, and maybe through crying you become extremely depressed. But that's not what Paul and Silas did. They know why they're dead. What it says that they did, it says that Paul and Silas, they begin to pray and to sing. It's midnight Everybody's supposed to be asleep in the prison at midnight. And these guys are praying and they are singing. I like what Adam Clark in his commentary said. He said these words here. Though these holy men felt much and had reason to fear more, they are undismayed and even happy in their sufferings. They were so fully satisfied that they were right and had done their duty that there was no room for regret or self-reproach. At the same time, they had such consolation from God as could render any circumstances not only tolerable, but delightful. Notice what it says, they're singing praise. And they're just not, you know, they're not just singing praises, they're doing some praying. What were they praying about? Well, we're not told. I suppose we could speculate. We could say, well, they were praying, uh, thanking God that they had been counted worthy to suffer for the cause of Christ. Uh, maybe they're praying for encouragement. Maybe they're praying for those prisoners that are around them. Maybe they're praying for their persecutors. Maybe they're praying for that Philippian jailer. We don't know, but they're praying, which means that, that was a good thing because their spirits, they're not looking down, their spirits are looking up. And then it says they were singing praises to God. And, and when they sang, they're not just kind of just you know, just mumbling along the words, they're singing out loud. They're heartily singing. And the prisoners, they, they heard them. What I'm saying to you is the circumstance of their life didn't steal their song. God gave them a song and it was deep down inside them. And that song comes out to them. And the result is, is that the prisoners are listening to them. Like I said, it's midnight. These are prisoners. They're probably hardened. They've probably been there for a while and now they hear this singing going on and this praying going on. And it says that they listen. Maybe they start out by saying, knock it off. We don't want to hear about it. Maybe they ridicule. Maybe they mock them. But obviously the demeanor of the prisoners had changed because it says, you know, Luke is very specific in saying, and the prisoners were listening to them sing. You could say, well, you know what, listen, that's only because Paul and Silas had a captivated audience. Well, that could be true. But it's also true that their singing was captivating. Not how good their voices were. I don't know if Paul and Silas had good voices. 
I don't know if they're like Simon and Garfunkel with really good duos. What I do know is that they had a message in their song. And the song put reason to why they're singing, even in a difficult situation. And the result is, is that they are being listened to. What I'm saying to you is that there's more than one way to spread the gospel message and that singing can have a dramatic effect on people who are prisoners of sin. Now, these guys are prisoners because of what they have done, but they're also prisoners of sin. And, the, and songs have a way of touching people. I love what David said in Psalm 119, verses 61 and 62. Though the wicked behind me, though the wicked bind me with ropes, I will not forget your law. At midnight, I will rise and give you thanks for your righteous laws. That's exactly what Paul and Silas are doing at midnight. Instead of the, you know, instead of the circumstances stealing the song from them, they have a new song within them, and they begin to sing out. Listen, people listen to singing. They do. When Christians start singing, people listen. Why is it? Because singing is the language of the soul. It really is. I was thinking about the times that I've been around places or I've heard of places where people were singing. Not too long ago, we had a team went down to Guatemala on a mission trip down there. <clears throat> By the way, in about two weeks or so, we're going to be sending them again, about 10 of them. 10 of our members are going down that way. But they were down on this one mission trip, and they did an excursion where they went to a cave. And this cave was a well-known cave. But they say that when you walk into this cave, it's, it's dark. It's so dark, you can't see the person in front of you or in back of you or to the side of you. And while they're in that cave, they began singing. Our team did. They began singing hymns, began singing songs. And the people that were in there with them that were strangers, they heard the songs and they listened. And they, were, and they told the group afterwards <clears throat> how moved they were by the songs that they were singing. In a cave, in darkness, strangers were listening. At an amphitheater uh, in uh, Israel on one of my trip, on my last trip, we went to a place called Beth Shan. Beth Shan once was a Canaanite city, and then it was a Philistine city. When it was a Philistine city, you remember after Saul and Jonathan had been killed, the Philistines took their bodies and they nailed them to the walls of Beth Shan. Later, the Hebrews would, have, would occupy it, and then later, the Romans would occupy Beth Shan, and they would call it Scipolis. And they built the city up, and they put a huge amphitheater in there. They also had a hippodrome also where they did gladiator-type things and chariot races and all that. But it's a godless city in many ways. On that day, we're in this amphitheater, and we're singing songs, 50 of us on this tour, were singing songs of praise to God and strangers were listening that day. A couple days later, we were over in Caesarea Maritima. Herod the Great built that city as a port for ships to come in and he too built a hippodrome with gladiators and chariot races and all those things, but he also built an amphitheater and we sang in that theater as well and strangers were listening that day as well. We sang in an old church that was close to the Antonio Fortress, right by the pool of Bethsaida, and we sang in there, and as we were singing those songs, crowds came inside the church building thinking that there was some kind of choir going on in there, but, but just a bunch of Christians, and they were strangers were listening. 
Several years ago, we had a men's retreat up at, at Trinity Pines, and we were on the second floor in a conference room there, and there was a bunch of us guys in there on this retreat. We were singing songs, and the staff below were listening to us sing, and they asked us, are you guys a men's singing group? Well, no, we're not. We're just a bunch of men singing, Christian men singing. But it was strangers were listening at Teton's family encampment. We're on the lake shores of, of Jackson Lake there. We're having a barbecue on Sunday evening. Every Sunday evening, when, on, through all the years I went there, we'd have a barbecue, and then we would gather around in our chairs, and we would sing songs. And strangers would hear us singing, and they had come out of the forest and out of the campground and come around, and they would listen to us sing. Strangers were listening. Or a bunch of our teenagers were up camping, and they're outside, and they're around a campfire, and they're singing, and it's midnight. And they decide that maybe, you know, the thing says 10 o'clock, we're supposed to be quiet, and so they quit singing. And when they quit singing, someone from a camp down the way said, don't stop. Keep singing. Strangers were listening. So God gave Paul and Silas a song to sing about. And he's given us a song as well to sing about. He's given us a message. He's put something inside us that's important to us. So singing is a powerful way to carry out the mission of the church. People love to sing. People love hearing singing. I mean, have you guys ever been driving down the road and pulled next to a car and found people looking at you because you were singing? You thought I was going to say it the other way around, didn't you? But, hey, I've found myself singing. I've, I've sat at, at, you know, at a stop sign or a, stop light, or a, a red light, and there, people next to me are singing. Sometimes they're teenagers, you know, and they're singing, and they're bouncing around, and they look over at me, and an old guy, and I'll go, pump it up, pump it up. <laughs> you know? You know? <clears throat> or, or, or how about singing in the shower? Any of you sing in the shower? Rich Schlachter, do you sing in a shower? <laughs> no, I'm not doing a little shower singing. But we, say, we love to, to sing, and, and we sing all kinds of genres. And these genres have messages, whether it's country or R&B or, or rap, or whether it's reggae or soul or, or rock or the blues. They all have a message. People love to listen to singing. And Christians, we too have a message, a, a song. We have a new song that's placed within us, songs that honor and, and praise God, songs that teach and encourage and admonish and warn, songs that lift a spirit. I don't know about you this morning, but I loved our singing. I stopped in a couple of them and just listened as you were singing. We were singing that. He gave me a song, Heart Bells Ringing. I remember Keith Harness when I was over in Caldwell. He used to lead that song. I can still see his smile as he led that song song heart bells ringing within us a new song with in us and paul knew that and that's why he said in ephesians the fifth chapter <clears throat> verses 18 and 19 he said do not get drunk with wine because that leads to dissipation even drunk sing okay he says but be filled with the spirit speaking in another one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. He wrote the same thing almost to the Colossians where he said, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another and with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to, the, to God. So we have these songs that are ours. We, we have been given a, a new song. David, 
he wrote about this. I waited patiently for the Lord. <clears throat> he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of a slimy pit, out of the mud of mire. He set my feet on the ground. He gave me a firm place to stand. Now look at this. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Many will hear and put their trust in the Lord. A new song. So why do we have a new song? Well, because God, well, it's what he's done for us in salvation. We've been lifted out of the pit of despair, out of the pit of hopelessness. He's given us new life, and therefore he's given us a new song to sing, a song of salvation, a song of freedom, a song being freed from sin's possession of us. Earlier, uh, we had Avery read to us Psalm 96, verses 1 to 6, but just notice what it says. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. He's singing a new song. I don't know if you've ever just, you know, looked at the word a new song, but it's mentioned like five times in the New Old Testament. Mentioned two times in the book of Revelation about those who have lived lives and have been martyred, and it says they're in heaven and they're singing a new song, a song of, of victory. It's a great, a new song. So what do we sing about? We sing about his salvation. We sing about his glory. We sing about the marvelous deeds. We sing because we belong to the God of God, to the Lord of Lord and King of Kings. We sing of his creativity. We sing of his splendor. We sing of his majesty. We sing of his strength. Probably a thousand other things that we can sing about, this new song within us. So singing, singing is great. Typically, you know, when we sing, we start singing, and then other like-minded people begin to join in, and there becomes a synergy. You know, you probably have noticed that there are some Sunday mornings where we sing super well, or really well, and then there's other Sunday mornings where we really sing super well, where we're really good, and then there's some mornings where there's kind of like a lull there, and you go home and you think to yourself, was there a full moon out last night, or what's going on here? But there's a, a, there's a synergy, there's an energy that happens when people come together, and they join their voices together, and collectively the joy meter begins to rise because of the songs. And so the act of singing lifts up our, our spirits and touches our, our hearts. If I were to just very quickly ask you this morning, how many of you have great voices? Raise your hands. And there would be like two guys right here who said, right, we've got great voices. <clears throat> okay, not, probably not. Probably not. I'm not that good. But, you know, I know that there are people in here who have great voices, who have super good voices. Okay, they're just humble and they're not going to say, ask me. Uh, more, but if I were to ask, how many of you think you have kind of just kind of a regular and not so great voice? Well, almost most of us would say, that's me. But when all these voices come together, there's something wonderful that happens. There is a synergy. The excitement meter does go up. Something does change. And all of a sudden, those good and bad voices all blend together and they become wonderful voices. So just like those prisoners who were listening to Paul and Silas singing, Strangers are going to be listening to us next Sunday afternoon or a Sunday evening at Kleiner Park on June the 12th. We're going to be together. And we're going to be singing songs of praise to 
God. I mean, it's, it's going to be a wonderful time together with one another. And we need to be singing these songs. And so I just want to, you know, I don't know how I can encourage you more, but I just want to really encourage each and every one of you, okay? I'm not talking about the 50 or 55% crowd that comes back on Sunday night. I'm, I'm wanting to encourage all of you, I'm asking all of you, each one of you, to be there next Sunday evening. Show up for a, a hamburger or a hot dog, and then we're going to gather together at 6 o'clock over at the, the band shell, and we have a men's group that's going to sing some to us, and we have some, our young people are going to sing to us, and then we as a congregation are just going to gather up, and we're going to sing for a while. And Adam Clark is going to lead us in some songs, and John McCarthy is going to lead us in songs, and are you supposed to lead us in songs? And, and Brandon is going to lead us in songs, but we're going to have a great time of singing. You know, I'm, I'm serious about this when I say to you that songs spread the word and touches people's hearts. I gave you examples of strangers listening. Jean-Claude Ete over in Cameroon, Africa. Jean-Claude is, has this incredible voice. He's an incredible song leader, and he gets congregations to sing so strongly and so wildly. They say that people actually come forward and are baptized after their time of singing. That's how powerful that is. Singing is a language of the souls. People learn from seeking, and when you have people get together as we are and singing in a cappella, there's something incredible about that. And I'm going to tell you this. Jesus told us to go. We can go and preach, we can go and, and with a written word, but we can go with singing. And I'm going to tell you this, evangelism does not get any easier than this. It does not get any easier than this, because number one, you're not by yourself, you're not knocking the door, and you've got like 300 people around you, reinforcing you. So I really want to encourage you to do this. I want to encourage you to be there to sing together with one another. Bring a lawn chair, bring a blanket. We, if you don't have one, let me know. We can provide some for you. But let's get together next Sunday afternoon, evening, and let's make an impact on our community. Do you know that at the Village Theater that we have this ad that's behind me with acapella music, sing acapella, that's been played every time a movie is shown at all their screens, every time. We've had that going, so our community knows about it. Some of us will be handing out invitations to those who are in the park, inviting them to come and hear us sing. And so let's not let them down. Let's bring our voices. Let's bring our spirits, and let's make an impact on our community. Our world truly is the final frontier, and each of us can make a difference. And singing, singing is a great way of spreading the good news. Earth. The final frontier. These are the voyages of the Linder Road Church of Christ. It's a continuing mission to explore and find new people, to seek out lost souls, and to boldly go where no one has gone before in song. Now listen, you can have an impact, and you might have an eternal impact on a person in that park who may be looking for Jesus, may be looking for a reason to live. So may God bless us, and may God bless you as you respond to this encouragement to be there next Sunday morning. I'm going to talk a little bit more about it next Sunday morning as well, but certainly be thinking about it. Um, if you want a new song, Jesus is the one that can bring a new song into your life. And he does so because he died on the cross for you. Resurrected from the grave to say, show that you know, there is power 
in his act in dying for the sins of the world. On the day of Pentecost, after Peter had told them the good news of Jesus Christ about his death and his burial and his resurrection, it says that they were pricked in the hearts and they asked Peter, men and brethren, what shall we do? And, and Peter just simply said, and repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then he goes, uh, went on to say that he went on to encourage them with more words. And then it says in verse 41 that those who heard his word gladly received it and 3,000 of them were baptized on that day, the beginning of the church. You can do that this very morning as well and receive a new song while you do so. Won't you think about this? And won't you respond while together we stand and sing and give you opportunity? What a song of